good. I hope that worked. Good to see you all. It's good to have you no matter where you are, what campus, what seat you're in. Thank you for being with us tonight. My name is Pastor Lindsay Willis. I think you probably heard that at your campus, but let me just reiterate that so you know who's looking at you and talking to you. Um, and just thank you for being here. I get the privilege tonight, and I want to thank Pastor Becca and Jen Pattengill for the invitation to speak tonight. Love the fact um, that I get to do this. It's an honor and a privilege. I love speaking into the women of our house because I think we carry the heart of our house. And I get to speak about something tonight that I love. The title tonight is about unshakable confidence, right? We're, we're in this series building up to Sparkle. I'm excited about Sparkle. I hope you're going to be there. Let me start by saying I don't think, my opinion, you can argue with me later, but I don't think there's anything, anyone as beautiful as a woman whose confidence is in God. Not in the things of this world, but in God. And I want to talk with us about tonight. I think inside of every woman's heart, there's a desire to be confident. Let me, do, let me describe that a little bit. To me, confidence is to be at rest and settled within our heart in every situation. Right? at rest and settled in our heart in every situation. It's, it's actually, if I can hearken back to Pastor Becca's message during the summer in our Anchor Versus series, she talked about shalom. I think a woman that's living in the shalom of God is a woman of confidence. There's just a, a peace and a grace about her, right? Um, but the question we want to wrestle with tonight is how do we develop that type of confidence in the Lord? Right? And I would describe it this way. It's being bold, but not arrogant. It's being settled and unshakable, and yet still empathetic when someone's going through a tough time around you. It's being resilient, despite the odds that are against you. You just, you, you're, you just stay buoyant in the midst of life, but you're not brash about that. And then you're strong enough, a woman that's confident in God is strong enough to go it alone, but she's humble enough to know that she needs deep friendships to do life with. She's not a loner, a woman that's confident in God. You know, I love dictionary, I love words. And so dictionary.com is one of my favorite sites. I know that might sound strange to you, but I love looking up words. So I looked up the word confident at dictionary.com. And that word says, it means full trust. Hear this, full trust. Belief in the powers, the trustworthiness, or the reliability of a person or a thing. So where does unshakable confidence come from? Does it come from me, myself, moi, I, me, moi, confident in me? I, I don't know about you, but I can tell you I don't have enough inside me to be confident in me. I know my brokenness. My good friends know my brokenness. My team here at church knows my brokenness. People that I live with, talk with, my family knows my brokenness. I don't have enough confidence in me to be confident to have unshakable confidence. It's just not possible. Besides, anything that I have confidence in me is temporal because I don't know if you've noticed, but you're growing older every day and things you could do 20 years ago, you can't do today. I am approaching 70 and there are a lot of things I can't do today that I used to be able to do. So if my confidence is in what I can do in me, it's gonna be shattered. 
as we age beautifully in Jesus. Um, can we get confidence from others? I think a lot of women strive to get confidence from other people. They try to make people feel good about themselves or about herself, right? They're, they, anybody fall into the people-pleasing thing? You try to manage other people's opinions of you, right? Can I, here's a news flash from heaven. Can I give you a news flash from heaven? God did not give you the authority to manage other people's opinions and feelings. So give it up. Their opinions, their feelings, how they feel about life, how they feel about you, that's their problem. Your only job is to let Christ conform you to his image and likeness. Your job is not to make other people feel good about you or feel good in their own ability. So just, that's, a, that's an aside, but it's a good aside. Okay, so I want to propose that the only place we can have unshakable confidence is in God himself right? And remember, the dictionary said full trust. Let me give you an example. What does full trust in God look like? I have two chairs at home. Oh, I have more than that. But I have two of my favorite, right? One is the chair that I do my devos in in the morning. It's right in front of a big picture window. I look out on a golf course. It's gorgeous. Um, that's a dream come true, by the way. I've worked long and hard, and God let me have my dream. So I sit in this chair. And when I sit down in the chair in the morning with my cup of I almost sat right there. That would have been scary. When I, but when I sit down in that chair in, in the morning with my cup of coffee and I put my feet up on the ottoman, my full trust is in that chair. The whole weight of my body goes into that chair. I don't sit down like this. Oh, I hope, hope it'll hold me. You know? No, man, I just sit down and I'm there. Full trust. My full weight goes in that. My other favorite chair is the one that I watch TV in. It's a big overstuffed purple, yes, purple, leather chair with a big ottoman, right? And I just flop down in that thing. It catches me every time I sit down. It's my family's favorite chair. They always fight about it when they come to sit in my chair because it's broken in, it's warm, it's comfortable, it just kind of hugs you when you sit down. But it can bear the full weight of me or anybody else that sits down in it when they sit down in it. That's what trusting God is. Do you believe that Almighty God, the creator of the heaven and earth, can bear the whole weight of your life? That's where unshakable confidence comes from. So let's talk tonight about how we can develop that. Three points, and then you're going to get to talk about this. So I'm going to probably stir the water a little bit, stir the pot, but that's when the seasoning gets good, right? And then I'm not going to give you all the answers. You're going to sort that all out there. We need to draw near to God. We need to identify our confidence killers and eliminate them. And then we need to simply obey God. Okay, let's talk about drawing near to God. Um, you guys, we're not going to... We're not going to have unshakable confidence if the only time we run to God is when we need something. God's not Santa Claus. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to face-to-face, heart-to-heart, whole life relationship with you, right? So that means learning to live every day throughout the day with him, not just devos in the morning, but reorienting and thinking about him during the day. God, I thank you that you're with me today. God, I thank you. Even when the kids drive you crazy, when your husband gives you the last nerve, right? Just not the last nerve. Hits your last nerve. Whatever that is. Anyway, you just, that's when you need Jesus, right? We need him all day long. It's a lifestyle. 
Having unshakable confidence comes when we have a lifestyle of living near to God. Okay? Let's talk about a young woman that did that. This is a moment in her life, but she got to this moment and was able to walk through this moment because I believe she had lived near to God her whole life. Woman is Esther. She's a young Jewish woman. And I'm, I'm, I don't know exactly how young, but back then, and we're talking thousands of years ago, so don't get up in arms about how women were treated back then. It's just the way it was, right? Thank God we've come a long way. Glad I wasn't born when Esther was born. But anyway, Esther was a young Jewish woman, and she was selected by an ungodly king to be his wife. Woohoo! Okay. There was a man in the king's court by the name of Haman who hated Jews. Hasn't changed in four centuries. Jews are still hated by people. But this guy Haman had the favor of Esther's husband, the king, and somehow, through his shrewd manipulating, he had convinced the king to annihilate the Jews and inst institute a genocide. Can you believe that? That's just crazy to me. But Esther's uncle, Mordecai, who had raised Esther, actually, found out about this plot, and he got a hold of Esther, and he said, hey, you're the only one that can stop this. The king has signed an edict. All the Jews are going to be killed, and you, even in the throne room, are not going to escape. You're the only one that can save the Jews. Well, that was all good and well, but no one went into the king's presence unless they were asked by the king to come. It was kind of a little funky back then. And people that went into the king's presence, not invited, could be killed on the spot. All right? Anybody want to sign up for the mission? Go into the king, tell him, you know, something's wrong here. Right? Esther was wowed by this, and she wasn't sure she wanted to do it. But... In Esther 4, verse 13, I think it's on your sheet, it says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Do you hear Mordecai's unshakable confidence right there? His confidence was such that God was going to bring deliverance to the Jews because God is a covenant-keeping God. And he said, if you don't do something about it, God's going to do it some other way, but you might die in the process. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. Now that's a commitment right there. Night or day, my maids and I will do the same. And then, though is it, it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. Now listen to this next line. This is where unshakable confidence takes an interesting turn. Esther says, if I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther had the confidence to go into the king. She did go into the king. She went into the king only after she and her community had really spent time seeking God, letting God work out what she was supposed to do. But Esther did what she did with her full confidence in God. And this is how far her confidence went. She was so confident in God that even if she went, she was okay with dying because she knew God was a covenant-keeping God and she, she would spend eternity with him. In other words, she counted 
her relationship with God more dear than her life on this earth. She didn't put her trust in her position, in her beauty, in her relationship with the king. She put her trust in God. And she goes, if I live, hallelujah. If I die, I've got something better. Can I just say unshakable confidence comes when you realize that Jesus is the ultimate prize. Not what Jesus can do for you. Not the prayers that Jesus can answer. Not the things that Jesus can change. But Jesus himself. That's where unshakable confidence comes from. Because you know what? This place isn't a great place to be. The world is a tough place to be right now. Many of you are probably facing really tough things. But we have a God that has promised us a glorious eternity. And that's my hope that keeps me steady in the midst of everything we're studying or seeing on this earth. Esther's confidence was in the character and the nature of God. Listen to this. Psalm 16 says, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, in other words, the dark seasons of, of life, my heart instructs me, and I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, that whole weight of my body. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Notice it's the joy of his presence and the pleasures of living with him forever, not the, oh yeah, you're going to answer all my prayers. That's not unshakable confidence in God. But when you know that Jesus is the ultimate prize, now you've got unshakable. You can face anything in life knowing that your eternity is secure in him. Confidence killers. What are they? Where are they? How do we get? Not, not, you're going to talk about how to eliminate them. I'm going to come after this from this angle. Satan hates confident women. He would rather push you down, tell you you're not enough about anything, and keep you from being confident. So what are some confidence killers? Can I? I'm going to go after social media for a little bit and how we use social media. It's not going to be long, and I'm not going to rant, but I am going to be strong. And I'm not anti-social media, but I am anti it having control over your life and your emotions and your self-perception, okay? So I have been an adult in church for almost 50 years now, and every women's meeting I go to, there's something about comparison. And here it is again tonight. The enemy doesn't change his tactics. He always tries to get you to compare yourself to someone else, and it's never enough. And the thing with social media, he's comparing your mundane, boring, day-in and day-out life to somebody else's highlight reels. Why do we play that game? Ladies, stop. Stop. Because you know what? You're missing the faithfulness of God in your daily life by comparing your daily life to someone else's highlight reel. If you can handle it, go for it. But if it's driving you crazy to look at somebody else's highlight reels, I got a clue for you. Stop it. Okay, the second thing that we use for social media is we, we are passionate about authenticity to the point that we share all of our personal deep dark secrets and struggles with everybody on social media. But I think there's a different motive behind that. It's in the sake of authenticity, but I think there's some attention grabbing for that in wanting people to think high, more highly of you because you're authentic. You guys, you can't manage other people's opinions. I told that before. Don't play the game of social media. 
If you can say, I was this, and I was struggling, but then Jesus met me here, and now I'm this, and you talk about the victory, go for it. But all you do is share your struggles with no hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to question that as attention-seeking and not healthy. That'll kill your confidence. And then finally, FOMO, fear of missing out. Wow, this is a big one. You, you, you miss what God is doing in your life, right here, in your kids, in your husband, in your relationship with him, in your relationship with God, because you're focused out there on somebody else's social media account. And so you're, you don't, you're not grateful and thankful for all the blessings that God has in your life because you're saying, I don't get to do that, or I don't get to go there, or I don't get to do that, or I don't have that, or I can't do that. Don't let social media destroy your confidence. If you struggle in that area, here's the challenge I'd put to you. Put it away and just fall in love with Jesus more. Spend that time that you used to scroll and just spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in the presence of God. True confession. And I don't have a big... I don't compare... I, I don't have a big deal about comparison. I'm just me, and I love me. And if you don't love me, that's your problem, because I love me, and God loves me, and we're all good. Right? I mean, that, that's the secret to confidence right there. i got to hurry up. So, but here's, here's the deal. Don't worry about what other people think about you. So I don't, I don't worry about social media. Social media was just a time waster for me. So I quit social media. Yes, I have a Facebook profile. Don't ever message me on Facebook. You'll think I have died because I will not answer. I don't look at it. Don't DM me on Instagram. Yes, there's an Instagram post. I think the last time I posted was the end of July. Big deal. I, I know some people use it really, really well. I, I just don't have the time for it. I think there's more important things to do in life than to create a following and worry about how many people like the last post I did on Instagram. Okay, I'm done. All right, let's go on to the last one. Can we do this? Here, let's, 2 Corinthians 3. We carry this confidence in our hearts because of our union with Christ before God. Confidence comes because of who we are in Christ Jesus, not because of how many likes we get on Instagram or Facebook or that kind of stuff. And all the chaos that has been on, on all these social media and the arguments, stop it. It's a devil's ploy to destroy you. Okay, I'm done. We, we don't see ourselves as capable enough to do anything in our own strength. Listen to this. For our true competence flows from God's empowering presence. Okay? Now, the last thing. We need to obey God. Unshakable confidence is built through the resilience and perseverance that's developed as a result of obeying Jesus. The only way we're going to find out that Jesus is the ultimate prize and is everything our heart desires is if we will obey God. Let me tell you a quick personal... Let me, let me share a couple of scriptures and then I'll tell you a quick personal word and then I'm going to let you... Personal story and then I'll let you get on to your conversations. James 1.22. Don't just listen to God's word. I love the fact that you guys are here tonight, but this is secondhand food. You feed yourself with your Bible and it becomes more real. I can help you. This is a teaching that can help you, but don't live on this. 
Don't live on other people's teaching. Live on getting into the Word. You must do what the Word says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. Matthew 7 in the Message Bible, verses 24 to 27, it's not on your, or 24, it's not on your sheet, but this is what it says. These words that I speak to you are not, these words that I speak to you, Jesus speaking, not Lindsay Willis speaking, Jesus speaking, his word written to you, relevant today. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Oh, I think I'll take that. Yep, and I can agree with that. And oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, that makes me feel good. I'll take that one. Nope, everything. They're not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Jesus didn't die for us to have an up and to the right life. He died so we could have an intimate relationship with him and know him, be conformed to his image and be a servant to our world so they know there's more hope than outside this world can give them. These are foundational words, words to build a life on. Catch this, if you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, river flooded, or, or tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Quick personal story as we finish up. I don't know how many of you know my story. I'm single, never been married, not because I haven't had opportunities. I've had five proposals. God, in every one of them, I believe, said no. But in my early 30s, I bought my first home. It was the first time I'd ever lived alone. Lived in my parents' house, went to college, had roommates, moved out of college, had roommates, had an awesome time. I had the best roommates ever. Then it was time to buy a house, and I bought a house. And what I found out was, living alone was a whole different deal. And I found a big monster in my closet, the fear of being alone. Not being alone, but the fear of being alone. It's called loneliness. And for the first six months I lived in my own house, I ran all the time. I was with people all the time. I was doing plans with people. I was running with people all the time. Until God finally just said, stop. I said, pardon me? He said, stop. Other than going to church, which back then, believe it or not, I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night. A lot of times we had Friday night meetings. But Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night, he said, other than that, I want you home with me. I said, that's going to kill me. He said, good. What, did God say good? Yeah. Because you know what? My fear needed to be conquered because it was driving my life. But you know what it took? It took six months of being, learning to be at home alone with Jesus to conquer that fear of being alone, of being alone, of the lie of loneliness. I cried my guts out, snotted up the carpet, made a mess over and over and over again until that lie was pulled out of my heart. And I will tell you to this day, I never feel alone, I never feel lonely because Jesus led me to that place of death to learn that loneliness was a lie and he's the only one that can fill my heart and fill my cup. Now, I don't know what God is asking you to do that you're running in fear from, but I'm gonna tell you whatever you're running in fear from is designed to destroy you and shrink your life to nothing until you stand up and face it alone with Jesus.
because he's worth it. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you are the ultimate prize. You are everything our heart desires. You're everything that can bring contentment and peace and joy. And Father, for those for whom that is not a, reali a, a, a reality, wherever they are, whatever campus they're at, I pray that tonight is a seed sown deeply into their heart, that they would fight that fight to find you to be the ultimate prize. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.